Looks like our little ones are already heading out the door. We would encourage you, if you have a little one, uh, grades two and below, they can head out to Children's Church this morning. For the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be reading just verses 12 through 14. So we're in Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is after all of the Gospels, so it's towards the end of your Bible. If you go about three-fourths of the way there in your Bible, you'll probably get close after John, but before Romans. And we're going to be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says this, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Please be seated. I am going to guess that not many of you have ever heard the name John Erskine, at least not as it relates to the church and to prayer. I only say that because in my research and learning about John Erskine, I noticed there was a hockey player named John Erskine, and I wasn't sure how many hockey fans we had in the room. But John Erskine was actually a Scottish Presbyterian minister in the middle of the 18th century. Now, you may be saying, oh, good, we're having a history lesson. But this is a name that really, for the most part, we don't know too much about. And yet, as we start looking at the history, you'll find some interesting things about this man. He was not a particularly fiery preacher. In fact, during his lifetime, and especially during the active years of his ministry, really not that much exciting happened. He was not at the forefront of any great movement within the United Kingdom. And, and while he was respected and a lot of people admired John, he did not pastor a particularly large congregation. He was an average man in an average church and in, in a time and day and age when really there was not a lot of spiritual excitement. In fact, the UK during this time was a religious landscape that was dominated by the Anglican Church on one side and hyper-Calvinism by both Baptist and Presbyterian circles. Because of this, Christianity in the UK had become an increasingly complacent and stagnant faith. Basically, on one side, you had people going through the the routine and the rituals of life. And on the other side, because of a hyper-Calvinism, they had very little interest in evangelism or sharing the gospel, but were very content in their Bible studies and in their private times together. Erskine recognized this and became an advocate of both missions and really even an advocate of Christian education. He desired to see revival within the Protestant church in the UK. And as part of seeing this revival, he ended up writing what he called a memorial. Now, this memorial wasn't like we think of a memorial, which would be like some sort of obituary. He didn't write an obituary towards Christianity in the UK. As provocative as that might sound, that's not what he did. 
we might use a, a different word. We might say a memorandum. And so this minister in Scotland wrote a memo to the church in the UK. And in that memo, he challenged Christians everywhere to begin to faithfully come together in prayer. And his desire was to see people throughout the UK set aside time on specific days and all come together and pray. This memorial was published and and passed around, and yet it had very little effect in his home country. Just didn't do much. But John Erskine's passion for for, um, Christian education meant that he was a a, a big fan of not only gathering books on Christian thought and, and, and Christian theology, but also making sure that they were published and published cheaply and sent all over to anyone that might have a desire to read them. And so his little memorandum, little more than really a letter or a small pamphlet, was printed off. And, and by, by the, the means that he sent his books out, it landed in the hands of one Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards, if you don't know who that was, was a minister in New Jersey here before the revolution. And many look at him as the as the um, the the one who led the first great awakening here in what would become the United States. Jonathan Edwards. Read his memorial. In fact, he became so moved by this call to prayer by John Erskine that he wrote a response in order to to encourage people to read it, to think about what he was calling people to do and to actually do it. And that response got longer and longer until suddenly it became an entire book calling people to united, extraordinary prayer for both revival and for the nations. This book would also be published. And ironically, would make its way back to England, where it would move men to form prayer conference, excuse me, prayer concerts throughout the country. And in the waning years of John Erskine's life, revival broke out and the call to send the gospel to the nations was answered everywhere in what would ultimately be called the Second Great Awakening and the beginning of the modern mission movement. Indeed, those favorite famous people like Carrie were stirred to the mission field by these calls to prayer. And it all started with a simple pastor in a medium-sized church named John Erskine who had a deep burden to call people to pray. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly what we are doing today. See, our passage today, we find the apostles praying and we find them praying in a very interesting time in their lives. As we enter into Acts chapter one, if you don't know the context, he, they have just left the ascension. So they have been with Jesus. They have seen him perform more miracles and wonders. He has appeared to thousands of people and, and, and they are with him. And then finally we see that Jesus, his time, even as a resurrected Jesus, is, is done. And it's time for him to go be with his father. And he leaves. He's called up into the clouds. And after the angels remind the people that they're not, their job is not to stare at the sky, they head back to Jerusalem. And as they are in Jerusalem, they have seen Jesus ascend. 
But they have not yet come to the point where Pentecost has happened and they've received the Holy Spirit. And so here they are. This means that the apostles and these women and Jesus' family and really all the followers of Jesus find themselves in this moment, in this passage, in a season of waiting. Now, we don't like waiting, do we? We do not live in a culture that enjoys waiting. We like instant results. We like instant gratification. We like instant pots. I don't even know what those, how those things work. But we don't like waiting. And yet what we see in our passage today is that God is calling them to wait and it helps us to understand that there are just times in our lives where good things may be coming, but we have to wait. The Gospel of Luke helps us understand what is going on in this passage. In Luke chapter 24, as this passage, this passage says that now Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you, that while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in the name, um, in my name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And then he said, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, and you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So again, in the midst of this great commission thing, you've actually already heard, you've, you've heard this great commission, which is the great commission that's found in Luke. And, and really our passage today comes right on the heels of the other, of another great commission that's in Acts chapter one. And in both cases, they say that, that you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to proclaim the gospel. You are going to do something great but you need to wait a little bit before you go. You need to wait just a little bit before you go because something is coming. And that something is going to be great and it's going to be wonderful, but you, you need to wait just a little bit before it happens. When we think about our current situation... We have announced revival services. We are, are trying to get all of the information to you. We have our sign-up lists that are out there so that you can be a part of those and serving. And in the midst of all of this, there's just a reality that we are in a time of waiting. That we are waiting for revival services to get there. That we are waiting for a movement of God in our congregation and in our community. And I think it is wise for us to look at how the apostles and these women and Jesus' family responded to this season of waiting. So what do we find them doing in our passage? We see that they've returned to Jerusalem, that they've gone back to where Jesus, Jesus told them to be. They tell us who was all there. And then it says this, and they all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So what did the apostles do while they waited? They prayed. And so what we ought to do 
when we are, as we wait for revival, is to pray. But not just any prayer. I want you to notice some aspects to this prayer that I think we need to start taking on today. First thing is we notice from this passage is that they were persistent in their prayer. In fact, look again at the text and it says in verse 14, and they were with one mind and were continually devoting themselves to pray. We have to be about persistent prayer in this moment. Continually devoting themselves does not mean that they were simply getting together and just saying a quick prayer. I find it somewhat amusing, and I think even our church has been guilty of this from time to time, that we will gather together for an hour, (coughs) excuse me, and for 50 minutes of that, we're just talking. We're talking, we're telling stories, you know, there might be prayer requests in there and that's good and I don't have a problem with that and and we're kind of sharing what's going on. But then when it comes to the time of prayer, we almost barely have time to actually be praying to God. And so while we might set aside an hour for prayer, we're only actually praying just a minute fraction of that time. But rather what we see from these people is not that they were just setting aside a few short minutes to pray. And don't get me wrong, some is better than none. But rather they were devoting a significant portion of their time together to praying. So often the church today has turned prayer into a signal that the Bible study is is starting or an opportunity for the praise band to come on and off the stage or or something that we might do to let people know that the service is over and you can finally go home now. But in this passage and what we look at right now is they're not to the point where they're going to go forth and start sharing the good news of the gospel with everybody. And they're not being taught anymore because Jesus has gone to be with his father. And so in this interim time, what they are doing is praying. That's it. They are coming together to to be together and then to pray as they waited for God to move in their midst. They prayed continually And in doing so, they were being obedient to Christ's command. I want you to listen to what Jesus had to say about prayer in Luke 18. And actually, the Gospel of Luke hits on this topic several times. He says this, Now Jesus was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and he did not respect men. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now, I want you to understand something. I have a five-year-old. I know exactly what he is talking about in this passage. Have you ever had somebody that just kept going and going and going and going until finally your options were either say, yes, you can do this or I'm going to murder you. Those were your options. We get that. And that is exactly the analogy. I love that all these kids are looking at their parents, by the way. Uh, That was great. Like all of them did. Like I saw all these kids going like, Do you ever want to murder me? Yes, they have. They haven't told me, but they have. 
That was the reality. And that's what he said. He said, finally, if I do not, I'm going to give this woman protection because if I don't, she is going to wear me out. And the Lord said this. He said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, obviously, in this passage, they're talking about praying for justice and that good things may be done. But but this is a statement about prayer and about the faith that comes behind prayer. We are being called to this moment right now. You are being called. All of us are being called to pray for revival in our church, in our community and beyond. But we are not called to pray for one minute on Sunday morning each week over the next four weeks and think revival is going to happen. We must be persistent in prayer and devote time. And I'm not going to tell you how much time. This is not some legalistic thing, but devote time every day to go to the Lord in prayer. And what this passage is saying is, listen, if an if an evil judge or judge who does not fear God and does not respect men will give in to requests because they are made constant. How much more will a God who actually loves you and wants good for you and wants to see these things act if we pray to him persistently and consistently? Does that make sense? I pray that we will find faith like this in our church. I love how this ends. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think what he means by that is, will he find faith like this? Will he find it here? Will we be a people who earnestly and persistently pray for revival? Pray for revival in our hearts? Pray for revival in our family and in our community. Will we go to the Lord every single day asking God to do something fantastic both right now and in the weeks building up to our revival and in our revival? Do we have that kind of faith here at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church? I can't answer that question. But you can. Will they find that faith in you? If the Son of Man came back right now, would He find the faith in you to persistently, diligently, passionately pray for this church and for the nations that they might have a relationship with the Lord? Let us be His people who cry out day and night for the next 28 days for the hearts and minds of our friends and our family and our community. Not only is this passage calling us to persistent prayer, but it is calling us to united prayer. I want you to look again at the text at verse 14, and it says, And all of them with one mind. In the original language, this is not two words or three words or whatever it might be, but it's just a singular word, but it is a compound word. And so when we translate it from the original language into English, we need to use a couple. The first part of that word means same. It just means like everybody was the same. But the second part of that word is really an interesting word because it means desire. 
even passion. In fact, often when the word is translated by itself, it gets it gets translated as rage, which means that it's talking about a an extreme desire towards something. It is not just saying that we are all praying the same words at the same time, nor does it mean that one person is praying and everybody else is just listening quietly. But when to to pray in one mind or to pray in one accord means that all of their hearts were aligned towards the same desire. When we look at this passage specifically, we have a whole bunch of people earnestly praying together that the spirit would come. That they would be clothed on high with this power so that they could begin to do the work that they had been called to do to go and to be his witnesses. Shouldn't we be praying for the same thing today? Shouldn't we be praying now together in one accord with a desire? And this is a real desire. Your desire should not be to do what the pastor says. Your desire should not be to just see the church grow. Your desire should not be that our services go well and the sound works good. But our desire should be that God moves and that the Spirit has an impact in us and in our community. We should all have that same desire. Consistently, we see in Scripture either people praying in the, in the same manner or a call to pray together for the same thing. In Acts 12, 12, we find the church praying together for Peter's release after he's been imprisoned. In both Ephesians and Colossians and many other letters, Paul calls the church to pray for him as he speaks the mystery of, the, of Christ and the gospel. In, in Acts chapter 13, it reveals to us that the church was praying and it resulted in Paul's commission. Even in the Old Testament, we see example after example in places like Joel and Amos, where the entire nation or an entire city is called to pray together for repentance and mercy. There is just something powerful about the whole church praying as one body for the Lord to move. And brothers and sisters, we got to do it. We have got to start praying. In fact, I would dare say that I am confident that if this church begins to pray persistently and with one voice to God to move in a mighty way through our revival services, that the spirit would do something fantastic in the next 28 days and beyond, then we will see that happen. And this is being recorded so you can hold it against me. I challenge you to test me on this. Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see the lost get saved? Do you want to see our community transformed from the, for the kingdom of God? If so, then you and I want the same things. Let's pray for it. Finally, I want you to notice one more thing about our passage today. And that is that, that, that they were praying for something specific. 
As we've already mentioned that we see scripture after scripture that point out how people were praying within the body of Christ and, and really how people were praying throughout the history of the church. We see how in, in uh, Joel and Jonah, we, I mentioned this, you can look it up, um, we, they pray for repentance. That both in, in Jonah's days, they had the city of Nineveh that, that heard the word of the gospel and called for a time of prayer and repentance of sackcloth and ashes. We see that same thing in Joel as the prophet Joel calls Israel to repent and to have a season of prayer. This means both personal prayer as well as a community that they might repent and turn to God. Second, we've heard from our previous passages a call to bear fruit, to see the lost get found. In both Colossians and Ephesians, Paul specifically asked these church to pray that he might speak forth the gospel. In fact, as we look at the passage, we see that he is called to, they ask him to proclaim it boldly, as we see in Ephesians chapter 6, and also to, in order to proclaim it clearly in Colossians chapter 4. And in both of those passages, we see that there is a deep desire to see people come to know Christ, and he prays that the people might pray for him as he does that. Finally, we see from our previous passages that he calls us to pray that God will move in miraculous ways. And twice in the book of Acts, both in the passage that we have read as well in Acts chapter 13, we see the people earnestly pray, praying for God to move. And in Acts chapter 1, they are praying that the Spirit might come so that they can begin the work. And in Acts chapter 13, they are praying for God to reveal to them the way that they should go, which leads to the mission call of both Saul and Barnabas. For us today, we need to pray for these same things. First, we need to pray for repentance. Every single one of us in this room could have a closer walk with God without exception. And in order for that to happen, that requires repentance. That requires us admitting that there is sin in our life that keeps us from a closeness with God that, that he wants, and I think hopefully that we want. And so that means that now is a time, of a season for the next four weeks is a season of praying and repenting and making change in our life. Now, for some of us, that means for the very first time, in fact, that's at the heart of the gospel. We can bring up the three circles here in just a moment. And as we think about the three circles, we remember we are saying that God has a design for your life. But we sin and we depart from that design and that finds us in a place of brokenness. But when we make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, it says that we both repent and believe on the gospel. And when we repent and believe in the gospel, that we begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And so in the midst of this time of repentance, I call on you, if you are with us and you've been waiting, don't wait for revival. Don't wait for a special service with a special speaker and special music to give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ right now and allow God to start working in your life for the next 28 days so that you can be a witness to your friends and your family and your people leading to revival. As we pray for repentance, for some of us, that means actually shining light into the dark places of our lives and handing those over to Jesus. 
For some of you, that means turning your life over to Jesus for the very first time. But let us, as a church, together, have a desire for a closer walk with Jesus. Even if that means giving your life to Jesus for the first time. The second thing we need to be praying for specifically during this time is that the gospel will bear fruit, not only in this church, but in our community. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of times we think about revivals as something we do as a church. At our revival this year, we want to see people get saved. But you know what? The only way that people get saved at this church during the revival is if lost people come in. They can't get found if they stay out there lost. And so we need to be praying for that. Yeah, and I know we need to be inviting, and I know we need to be promoting, and I know that we need to be telling people, and we will do all of those things in the next four weeks. But first, we need to be praying for it. We need to be praying that even as we are here right now, that hearts are being softened in our community, in our friends group, in our workspaces, in all of these places, so that when we talk about Jesus, they don't go, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. But that their heart will be softened enough that when you go to them and say, hey, my church is doing something really cool and really special this coming week. Would you go with me that they'll go? Yeah, I've never I've never gone to church before. Is that okay? I hear that all the time. Do I have to wear a certain thing? No, don't worry about it. But yeah, I'll go. Cool. I'll meet you there. I'll pick you up. Let's have let's go have dinner before and then let's go. We need to be praying for those interactions. We need to be praying that God is softening the heart of lost people, not only in our world, but all over the place, that maybe just someone gets a, 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 uh, ad, an ad or whatever we want to call it, a, a door hanger on their door, and they look at it and they go, you know, I've always wanted to go to a revival. Never been to one. We should go. I think that's Karen and Randy's church. We should check it out. I like bluegrass music. Maybe I'll go check out that first night. Christian rapper, I thought those things didn't go together. I've got to see this. Whatever it might be. We need to be praying for that to happen. That God is softening hearts, and along with God's softening hearts, that God will give us the boldness to ask. Who here has ever felt like they needed to invite someone to church or share Jesus with them and chickened out? Me. I have more times than I care to admit. We need to pray for boldness. That we won't chicken out. That God will open up those doors and that we'll actually walk through them. And we'll say, hey man, um, uh, so I got a church that, you know, I, I go to and we're doing something and, you know, we've worked together for a long time and we always say that we're going to hang out, but we never hang out. And I thought maybe you'd like to go to this with me. Guys, that may sound shaky and unconfident, but that's boldness. And we need to pray for that. And along with that boldness, we need to pray for clarity. Because when it's all said and done, and they may not walk down the aisle and they may not not, you know, have a moment, but it may be done when it's all said and done and you stand up and go, hey, thanks for coming with me. What did you think about that? 
And they'll say, you know, I've heard about Jesus, but I've never heard this before, and I don't know that much about it. And you say, well, let's go have coffee. Let's go hit Denny's. Let's go over to Waffle House. And let's talk about it a little bit more. And maybe in that one-on-one conversation with that give and take, you'll be able to clearly share Christ with them, and they believe. Do you think we should pray for that? I do. And finally, pray that God will do something fantastic. That God will do the miraculous and that maybe, maybe, just maybe through this revival, we see hearts healed, families restored, and people delivered from their sin. Addictions get put away. Depression that owns them may be broken. Those chains may be broken. Hope might be restored. Families that maybe are far from God and even marriages that are falling apart might come back and be restored through what the Holy Spirit will do. Brothers and sisters, we're calling you to pray today. But not just today, but for the next 28 days. We want to help you do that. And as you depart today, as you head out of the building, you're going to see some books on the table in the vestibule. We would love for you to take one of these for your family. If if we run out, rest assured, we will be putting some of this on Facebook, and so you can at least be praying with us. This is called Evangelism Takes Heart, and we're going to be praying that God works and God moves and that, that, that the gospel goes forth through our times. We would encourage you to use that so that we are all praying together. But brothers and sisters, let's pray. For there has been no revival, there has been no movement of God that did not first begin with prayer. If you're with us today, and as I mentioned from the the three circles just a few moments ago, that, that for some of us, our first prayer needs to be giving our lives to Jesus. That first prayer of repentance is not just a prayer for a change of sins, but a prayer of repentance where we give our life to Jesus and we change our trajectory. If you are, are here today, and like I said, I don't want you to wait till revival to, to, to receive Christ. I want you to pray now to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior so that God can start using you now as we move towards revival. Let this revival start in your heart today by giving your life to Jesus. If that is your hope and your desire, we would invite you to do that. You can do that with me standing right up here as Joe sings our last song. If you'd like to have a conversation afterwards or if you want to talk to mom or dad or the person that you came with about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we hope that that they, they should be able to explain this to you. But don't wait. Let your first prayer be a prayer to make Jesus your Lord. And then from this day on, let us pray. Let's pray now. Our gracious God and King, Lord, as we come before you now, we begin our season of prayer. And God, we recognize the Bible doesn't tell us how long the apostles and, and those involved prayed. But God, I, I, I am hoping and I, my desire today is to see us be a people like them in prayer, devoted to prayer, prayer that is united in, in the next 28 days so that we might see you do a work.
through this church during our revival services. Father God, we want to begin that time as a, as a time of repentance. God, I pray that for not only my sins, but, but Lord, I pray that even now in all of us, Lord, that you would begin to convict us of sin and cause us to repent. Lord, we pray that you would uh, forgive us our sins and Lord, that we would not return back to them. But God, that we would truly turn away from sin and begin to pursue you with all of our heart. Father, with that repentance, we come before you now, Lord, and we pray that the gospel would go forth. Lord, I pray that it would go forth even now. And that as we begin to talk about revival services, that that would open up doors for the gospel to be talked about and, and proclaimed in all of our areas. Lord, that you might help us to be bold. And Lord, that you would help us to be clear as we tell people about Jesus. And Lord, finally, we pray this morning that you would do a mighty work through this church and through these services. God, our desire is not just to see a church have some exciting emotional services. But God, our desire is to see you do something fantastic in our community and in our county for your namesake. Lord, we don't want the glory. We want you to receive all the glory. And so God, even if that, that spark gets lit here and it happens somewhere else, God, we just pray that you would move. Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to give their life to you, Lord, I pray even now you are moving in their heart. And God, that we would see you at work and give you all the glory. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.